Bienvenidos. This is a podcast that explores Latinx media and culture in its many forms. I am Dr. Rojo Robles. And I am Dr. Rebecca Elsalois. And we are Latinx and Latin American Studies professors at Baruch College in New York City. In this podcast, we will analyze Latinx film, television, literature, art, and cultures. We will consider how these works are perceived, analyze them, and investigate the real-world reflections and implication of that work on Latinx cultures in the U.S. and beyond. Welcome to Latinx Visions. Bienvenidas, bienvenidos, bienvenides. Welcome back, everyone. Today we begin our sixth, sixth season of Latinx Visions. Can you believe that? <laughs> We've been doing this for three years. <laughs> Tres años, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's fantastic. You know, this semester we are looking at yet another theme and we are considering Latinx climate activism. And we're speaking with different individuals and organizations about the connections between culture, community, and climate. We're speaking with writers, creators, and activists on how they engage with and bring attention to the climate crisis. As we designed this season, uh, Rebecca and I talked about how engaging in discussions about the climate crisis is crucial for Latina communities as we, they are affected by its impact in a deep way. Mm -hmm. Latinx people often reside in areas with higher environmental vulnerabilities, facing increased exposure to pollution, stream weather events, and rising temperaturas, right? Additionally, many Latinos, Latinas, Latinas work in industries affected by the climate crisis, such as agriculture, among others. Right. Yeah, absolutely. With our guests, we will be addressing these disparities and thinking together on how to foster awareness, advocacy, and collective action. As with our recent seasons, we will release episodes in English and Espanol. Mm -hmm. Today, we're going to be sharing a conversation we had with Afro-Latino writer and podcaster Anthony Otero. Uh, the interview took place on Friday, February 2nd, 2024. Otero joined us at Baruch for an in-person conversation about his short-form comic publications and how they connect to the concept of climate activism. So first, before that, we'll give a little bit of background on Otero, and then we'll dive into the interview itself. After the interview has concluded, we'll be back to share our thoughts and key takeaways from the conversation. Once again, thank you for joining us for our Latinx Climate Activism Season, La Sexta Temporada of the podcast. Enjoy. Anthony Otero is a Bronx native and a Syracuse University alum. He is a self-identified Afro-Latino blogger and podcaster who has previously contributed to the Huffington Post. He began his blogging career in 2009, chronicling his life on the journey towards self-publishing. He currently serves as the director for meetings and events at Rutgers University, New Brunswick. Otero aspired to be a published author for most of his life, and he achieved this with his first book, Hanging Upside Down, released in 2014. This is a novel that explores the pressures men face after divorce, the consequences of letting good intention go astray, and how a single turn of events can change the world as they know it. Otero followed his book uh, with 
the Book of Isabel, released in 2016, which explored questions about friendships and lost love. Today, we'll be talking to Anthony about some of his short-form works, in particular two comics he wrote for different Latinx comic anthologies. The first work published was La Casita of American Heroes, which was featured in the Eisner-winning comic book anthology Puerto Rico Strong. All proceeds from the sale of this anthology went to the people affected by Hurricane Maria. His second contribution to the world of comics came in 2021 with a digital reward for Kickstarter backers of Mañana Latinx Comics from the 25th century, set throughout Latin America in the year 2490. Yeah, right? 500 <laughs> years from the, well, no, a thousand years from the quote-unquote um, discovery, at least by Europeans, of, yeah. of the Americas. So Mañana presents readers with a radical array of futures ranging from post-apocalypse to liberationist utopias and even includes magical realism. Yes, I, I was one of those Kickstarter backers, so <laughs> I was very excited when I saw word of that comic coming out. Beyond writing, Otero is one of five co-hosts in the Black Comics Chat, a podcast on the intersection of comics and blackness. And as he'll mention in the podcast, they primarily stream on Twitch these days. Otero and Marcus Kwame, Leonardo Fairman, Grace Gibson, and Thelonious Legend all chat with comic creators and promote diverse comics in this podcast. So now we're just going to go ahead and lead us into the interview. Enjoy. All right, everyone. Welcome back. We have today with us a special guest. We have Anthony Otero here. We are excited to talk to you about <laughs> comics um, and also climate crisis. So that's a, an interesting <laughs> combination we've got for you. Okay. Um, but we figured we'd start out with like talking about your experiences in comics, you know, um, what have they been both as a reader and a writer of comics? Uh, that's a that's that's a fair question and a good question. So I've been collecting comic books since I'm gonna have to date myself um, since I was a kid. So I want to say probably in the 80s, even though I think my oldest comic book is probably from like 1978. Um, but I re actually remember buying them, or at least my mother buying them, uh, as early as 82. Um, I, I collected a lot of DC when okay. I was a kid. Um, and then as I got into high school, I started collecting a lot of a lot of Marvel. DC kind of didn't do it for me anymore. Um, and just to give, if, if you're really into comic books, to give the timeline, I was really into DC around um, Crisis on Infinite Earths, which came out about 85, 86. Okay. Um, I collected Firestorm, Flash, Green Lantern, Justice League. Um, but I, I guess as I got older, I got more into the X-Men um, and Spider-Man. Um, so when, when I was in high school and I actually had a job, um, I would actually go to the comic book store and buy comics myself. And those tended to be more Marvel. Got it. Got it. Yeah. In college, I kind of fell off because I didn't have money to do that. Um, Relatable. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I would say I, I started collecting again probably probably around 9-11, to be quite honest. I was started. I, it's when I started really. I came back to New York. I used to work and live in Syracuse before I did anything professionally. Um, and I moved to I moved back. Worked in Wall Street. I was there for 9-11. And it's interesting because I remember that day I wanted to go to the comic book store. Um, and I was set on doing that because there was a 
uh, Ultimate Spider-Man comic book coming out that day, or at least it came out the day before. I wasn't sure. And I was set on going there, and I never did, obviously, because things happened. Um, But yeah, comic books have been a part of uh, my life. And even as a kid, I would always dream about writing a comic book. Like I have a... Uh, <laughs> I have one of those old notebooks. Uh, those, the, what do you? I forgot what they're called. Like those composite notebooks. Oh, the black and white. Yes, the black ones. and white, the marble yeah. notebooks. <laughs> and I've got like a list of characters and stories and stuff like that. Um, I, if I read them now, they'd probably be either illegible or copyright infringement somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I I was very much into it, and it got it got that got me into role playing and, and thinking about writing. I was uh, an English major in college. I went to Syracuse. Um, so everything kind of connects for me. Sure. Um, and you know, life is what it is. I, I, I stopped collecting as much as I used to, but I do collect on and off. I'd certainly collect more now, now that everything is digital. It's just great. I don't have to. I can't do the digitally still. I, I just can't. (laughs) Um, and so what about writing them? Writing them? So first I had a, I had a blog, um, because, uh, I felt like I, I just needed to be able to just to write because uh, I, I write to just write and, and just get my thoughts on on paper. I never really thought that I would actually write anything substantial. And then I think what really happened was uh, moving back to Syracuse and working there as a as a student affairs professional. I ended up meeting and I said this in the year earlier in the green room was um, I met Juno Diaz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and at that point, I was like, I, I think about writing a book. And when I met him and I realized, you know what, I can do this. You know, because he seems like a normal person just <laughs> writing about whatever, <laughs> whatever moves him. Um, I went ahead and wrote a novel. I wrote two novels um, in, uh, I wrote one in 2014, actually it's going to be 10 years, yes, and then one in 2016, just because I felt like I needed something to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Part of in in doing that process, I was interviewed by a few podcasts, um, one having to deal with uh, black creators called Black Comics Chat. And I became friends with them. And then I ended up being one of their co-hosts, which I still (laughs) am today. Yes. Um, And through them, I was able to meet black and Latino artists and writers, people in the comic book industry, folks I never thought I would get to to meet. I've had we've had great interviews, and at that point, Hurricane Maria had hit. Yes, um, mm-hmm. and we, we all and for those who don't know, I I am Puerto Rican Ecuadorian. Um, so most of us, when this hit, it was terrible. You know, there was a lot of terrible things. <laughs> there was a toilet paper incident. There was toilet paper or t- paper towel. Yeah, incident, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think in general, when you have family down there, you just you feel powerless. You, you don't know what to do. So I ended up getting uh, an email or I think maybe a Twitter message when it was Twitter um, <laughs> from Desiree, um, who yes. was one of the folks at Lion Forge. And I knew Desiree because I had met her through the podcast. And she she was like, I know that you write. I was wondering if you'd be interested in uh, writing a comic or writing a story in a comic book called Puerto Rico Strong. Uh, but I need you to pitch me. And I need you to do that in the next 24 hours. So I was like, wow. Um, I've never, one, I've never had to pitch mm. a comic book. Right. Your your novels are self-published, yes, correct? Yes, they're self-published. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But comic books are different because it's a script. 
So I had to buy some books, do some quick reading, and then, and then I pitched this really short blurb about a, um, a mother and, a, and her child going to the island looking for her parents. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I, I think I was, um, I had to write this, I think, within eight pages or something like that. So I was like, I think I can do this. She accepted the pitch and I had to then write the script very soon, very quickly, because everything was moving so fast. And she had asked me, or she said, I hope you had an artist. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't even have an artist. Or at least I thought I didn't. But going back to my novel, one of the things that I was really toying with for the cover of the first book called Hanging Upside Down was just some sort of drawing that had to do with the story. But it didn't come out right after, after contacting uh, the artist because it seemed like I was trying to sell a graphic novel when I'm like, no, it's, it's just a novel. So I went with a, a completely sort of black matted uh, cover. But I kept, in, I kept in contact with that artist. His name is Ugi. And um, he was the first person I thought about. You know, and I, I met him, and I met him like, again, in about 2014. So here we are. What, 2016? I think that's when the hurricane happened. 17. 17? 2017. And I contacted him and I was like, so we really couldn't work together. I I ended up paying him for his his work, but I was like, how about doing a comic book? I was like, but we probably won't get paid because it is sort of pro bono. So he was, of course, he was down. I was like, okay, cool. So um, I had to write the script, send him the stuff. And he, and I I don't know, I'm hoping you read it. Oh, yeah. We got some questions for you. Amazing. (laughs) To me, he's an amazing artist. And he, him and I worked very well. And what, what made me laugh was I was too wordy in the, in the dialogue. I had Mm -hmm. to cut down some of the words. Um, But for that story, uh, it was um, La Casita of American Heroes. I used some of my own background. Um, in terms of the history of my family in, in the armed forces. Okay. Um, and I always wanted to make a commentary about, at that time, how Puerto Ricans are not viewed as citizens, even though we've been in the most of every major war in terms of military service. Um, so that was, that was the point of that whole thing. But um, from there, I mean, that went well. I, I cried when we won the, war, the award. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm like, I can't believe that I'm actually a part of that. And then Manana came out, or, or at least pitches for Manana came out. And um, and I know that publisher very well because we do a lot of interviews with her. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And I, she had gotten so many pitches. She had gotten pitches from me, some of my co-hosts, and she had to really sort of scale it. Yeah, down. it's a large book to and begin with. She had to with. scale it down. And she apologized. To, she she apologized to me for not making the book, but she said, "I'll make you a digital reward." Mm-hmm. Um, but I, so I still need you to create something. So this time, uh, not that I didn't want to use Oogie, but I wanted to use somebody else. I wanted to use a woman artist, a black woman artist in particular, because of the, 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 the characterizations in the story. Uh, and I was able to connect with, um, I always forget her first name, but I know her last name is Sanders <laughs> and her, her Instagram. I usually just know, I think it's NY Sanders. Okay. Um, and I saw, I saw her work and I was like, this, this is beautiful. This is my, exactly what I want. And this time we were getting paid for it. So I was able to, we were able to sort of spread, split the, the money that, that we were given down evenly and sort of come up with this 10 page story, which was actually a lot harder for me to write in concept. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But th- those are the two things that I've written that were published. I do have other scripts 
that I, I haven't published, okay. things that I'm still working on, wrapping my head through, that may, maybe one day we'll see the light of day. But being a part of that community now, you you might have more opportunities yes. to, no, to make a- that happen. It's not, yes, ab- I, I, absolutely. I think that I have a, um, I have some artists in mind. So... You know, you talked about specifically connecting with Black and Latinx creators, comic writers and artists. Um, So what value do you see in the visual storytelling medium in particular, especially when it comes to stories about Black and Latinx experiences? To me, it's very important um, to have the representation in comic books, because I think that even in, in 2024, representation is lacking. I think if you really want the representation you're looking for, you're often looking at um, self-published work or you're looking at um, independent work, mm-hmm. which is absolutely fine and completely legitimate and valid. And through those, I think, is where we really tell our story. I, I'm not sure who said this, but I think there's a quote somewhere that if you wanted to hide something of value, you put it in a book, you know, <laughs> and I, I think for us, being able to visually show whether it's our fantasy, um, which, which or our nightmare, or or anything that we're trying to play uh, display, uh, is very powerful, especially in the hands of of children or in the hands of young adults who don't see themselves in the medium. Hmm. Yeah. By the way, Anthony, how do you see comics and comics podcasting yeah, serving as a tool precisely for reaching the communities, the communities you're part of? Especially thinking about like the global issues that are affecting yeah, these communities yeah, and the interrelationship of these like social issues. And, um, and specifically, maybe we can get into that, into the climate crisis, but others right. as well. I consider what we do in podcasting and what we do in comic books is political. Everything is political because our identities are political. Our yes. identities are used as pawns mm-hmm. in, in any crisis or anything. I mean, here in New York City, you know, you have our mayor really using the migrant situation as a backdrop for whatever agenda he has, yeah. um, which is unfortunate. But in at least in the podcast that I have, we, we talk about all of that, you know, because it's important because just because you're considered to be a nerd doesn't mean that you don't understand or don't have a, a cause that's important to you that may mm-hmm. not be within the nerddom. But also, I think reflecting that back mm-hmm. in our work is important. And I think that's what I try to do in any of the things that I write is to kind of reflect what's happening either or what has happened in the work, because if not, it's just fluff. I mean, just to go back, even think about it now, when you think about Star Trek, you think about Lord of the Rings, you think about all that stuff, there's a lot of political statements in those. And, that, and I think that's important, particularly for sci-fi and for anything that has to do with comic books. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I did with my class last semester, which was um, a Latinx comics course. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did some stuff with like America Chavez yeah. and yeah. <laughs> and Miles Morales mm-hmm. and all of that. And I think the students were like pleasantly surprised to find how much depth there was within those comics, mm-hmm. especially those who weren't familiar with the medium. You know, I was looking through at, at some of your blog writing that you had done and there was um 
there was a blog post you had in like the early days of the pandemic. Yeah. And, and I think this line is going to really like pull us into that, that climate yeah. bit. Um, you wrote, I'm not an environmentalist in any way, so I won't get into climate change, even though I believe in the science. And, you know, <laughs> we want to ask you about climate change, you know, not so much from an environmentalist perspective, because as you said, you're not one, um, but from the perspective of an Afro-Latino and the perspective of a writer, you know, what do you see as the impacts of the climate crisis on everyday Puerto Ricans living on the island or Latino? Latinos and Latin Americans around the world. <laughs> First, uh, it's it's funny you ask that because I was thinking about this last night in terms of third world, the the story that I wrote for Manana, because part of that story in thinking about what would Puerto Rico or at least what the world would look like five hundred years from now, and I think a lot of that and a lot of what I wrote is because of the effects of climate change. The waters are rising, you know, mm-hmm. which means that who knows what anything will look like in 500 years. You know, will will the island still be there? I don't know. But I think hurricanes are becoming worse. Snowstorms are becoming... Everything's becoming worse. And I think that affects us because... um, I'm trying to think how best way to say this. When you're a population that's mostly been colonized, you don't really have a lot to call your own. Yes, we can say that Puerto Rico is, you know, for Puerto Ricans, but it's still a colonized land for, of the United States. When you begin to start losing your identity on the outset, and then the world is changing and you start losing your island, that is going to have a traumatic effect on the population. You know, and that's not just Puerto Rico. That could be the Dominican Republic, Cuba, any part of the Caribbean islands, you know, South America, any of the... Uh, places that are coastal. Those things are going to be an issue. And I think the problem really is, is that when a hurricane goes through the Caribbean, we look at it from an American side. Well, okay, that's a storm. But those people live those things, you know, and that is an every year occurrence. At some point, you have to think about the trauma that that produces. Mm -hmm. You know, we love to talk about tornadoes and how they rip through the Midwest, you know, and, and the trauma that those folks have of having to rebuild every year or close to, we don't really hear about the trauma that happens in the Caribbean. You know, or at least I don't. But again, living in the Northeast, maybe you hear it if you're living in Florida or in your Caribbean, you'll know that. But it's, I think it's, it's going to be a tough time um, for folks who look like me or folks who live in the Caribbean who are dealing with this. Because it is real, regardless of whether you believe in the science or not. It, it, it's, it's real, and I think it's going to affect us in, in, in numerous ways. And my final point is, with things happening like that and the destructive nature of global warming and climate change, a lot of history gets lost. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know that, and then I'm going to Puerto Rico in June, but I know that when I go down to any Caribbean island, I try to go to museums, try to look at sort of the, what stop of this trans, I know it's kind of supposed to be a vacation, but uh, what kind of stop on this particular place where the, the transatlantic slave trade was? I know that's like, why would you do that on vacations? Because I still want to learn, mm-hmm. because I think it's still important. Those type of things could get wiped away. If, if they're a major category five hurricane hits. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. You were mentioning the uh, your comic in Puerto Rico Strong, yeah, like a city of American heroes before, and we would like to like uh, expand a little bit on 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 that discussion. Sure. Right. Uh, as you mentioned, it, this comic is centered around Puerto Ricans in the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. You frame it, of course, in the backdrop of the uh, aftermath of Hurricane Maria because the book, yeah, yeah, the collection is on that precisely. But within the story, that is kind of like mm -hmm. the backdrop as well. Yeah. And also it works, yeah, as a claim, and this is something that you mentioned before, uh, Puerto Ricans belonging to the U.S. Mm -hmm. yeah, due to that history yeah. in, mm -hmm. the, in the U.S. Uh, military. So what inspired you to focus? You said you mentioned that it was like something very quick, uh, quick but uh, what inspired you to focus on this storyline? And, yeah, and this is uh, another part of the question that it, it will be great to, like, engage with you. How do you navigate discussions with Puerto Ricans who reject the U.S. empire politically <laughs> and critically and disagree with these assertions of belonging? I'm going to answer the easy one first, <laughs> uh, which is the story. What inspired me about the story is my, my grandfather. Now, my grandfather was a merchant marine, so he didn't serve in the war, but his brother, I guess that would consider my great uncle, did. I was told the story of my uncle Carlos and how he, I'm trying to see if I can get this correct, he fought in World War II and he died in France. Um, so he's, he has a gravestone in France. One of the stories that I was told was because he was dark-skinned, he, he fought with uh, the Black Regiment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And... Um, he was guarding a, again, this is a story that I heard. He was guarding a Nazi officer who was in the in prison or in the brig or something where they were holding prisoners. Mm -hmm. And he, the fact that he was guarding that officer incensed the officer. He would, you know, racial slurs. And he actually complained so much that they had to move him, move him as in my uncle and have somebody else guard him. Mm -hmm. Because for some reason, I guess the complaints of a Nazi officer was more important than who was guarding him. Um, and I found that to be very powerful, you know, um, because even in, Fr even in France, mm -hmm. you're dealing with American racism and you're also Puerto Rican, which, you know, depending on who you speak to, they don't, many of the folks don't understand how American racism works, mm -hmm. um, or at least particularly back then. So in, in thinking about that, I, I thought about all the other folks, um, and I did some research on, on, you know, the history of the military or mm -hmm. military service in Puerto Rico and how that can stretch in a family legacy, you mm -hmm. know, from, you know, the Spanish-American War on. World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, the Korean War, um, you know, Desert Storm, Operation Desert Storm, all that stuff, even until now, mm -hmm. you know, because a lot of folks feel that um, the military is a good way for them to earn money, get an education. Um, mm -hmm. So in that in that particular story, I, I, I made sure that I highlighted particularly that the main character came from a lineage 
of yeah. folks who probably served and died in the war just as yeah. she was uh, a part of that and and the importance of that because exactly. it's still important it it's becomes still... also a, gene- a genealogy of yes. our war yeah it, well. abs- absolutely yeah. absolutely and through but th- seen through the through a family history through exactly. family history right right right, right. so <laughs> i i think that my 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 relationship with i think puerto ricans um on the island is is not something that I can speak to like offhand. I don't speak to a lot of them because most of my family live here. Mm-hmm. I do have some family there, but I, I think from folks that I have spoken to, it is it is very much a contentious thing. Yeah, the identity of of Puerto Rico, like mm-hmm. where where does it land? Should it be a state? Should it be independent? And I think depending on who you ask, you're going to get a very visceral response. My mother will say, well, I think it should be a state. I'm like, well, that's because you're American. You know, it's that, that, that's a, an answer I come to understand mm-hmm. um, from her. And, 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 and I understand why she would say that. But if you live on the island, your, your, your thought is, you know, here you are, there, Vieques is, was, was a thing. You know, mm-hmm. you were bombing, yeah. you were doing, and you're causing ecological damage to the island. Yeah. Um, you have you, you have industry down there that's focused on tourism, mm-hmm. um, in term, but not necessarily focused on the folks who live there. And to really understand this, I would always recommend for those who haven't read the, the War on Puerto Ricans. Um, there's a it's a book written I forgot the name of the author it's called The War in Puerto Ricans. He's a journalist. Um, uh, yes. I think it's uh, his name is Dennis. Yes, uh, yes. I forgot now yes. his last right. name, but uh, yeah, yeah, Dennis. Gr- great book on the history of Puerto Rico that really mm-hmm. talks about um, what it was like when the U.S. when the United States took over um, from Spain and this the sugar industry and how that has reshaped what the island looks like and the money that has gone directly from the island to America. Um, I mean, he talks about Domino sugar. He talks all about, it's, it's a really, it's a really good book, but that's a good understanding of where Puerto Rico is in terms of not only the industry, but in terms of its identity. I think that, it's hard to really surmise what the final answer should be, you know, mm-hmm. because I think it's, it, depending on who you ask, the answer is going to be different. You know, my family who lives in America, and I just want to say that will always be concerned if Puerto Rico, let's say, were to break away. What does that mean economically? You know, does that become a third world island or, or stuff like that? And people want to still keep that connection and still be called a United States citizen, um, even though they have no voting power. It's just it's just very interesting. And I, and I think I try not to get into too many debates because I think people feel very visceral about it and they have every mm-hmm. right to be. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I'm just here in America writing about them, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Something that you mentioned that uh, we also wanted to like uh, uh, touch upon is like how also like talking about the military in the context of Puerto Rico give us another perspective, right? Mm-hmm. The impact of the military mm-hmm. on the archipelago. Yeah, yeah. Right? 
if we focus on on that impact on the ecological devastation caused by the U.S. in Vieques, you mentioned Vieques, but not only in Vieques, right? In other uh, parts of the oh, of the archip uh, archipelago, absolutely. but notably notably right. in Vieques, right? Uh, who still got the high, the highest rate of cancer yep. based on that history? Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, is this that? other avenue to talk about the military is that something that you have explored that you'll maybe have a plan to explore in the future that's not out of the realm of possibility it's mm -hmm. it's it's not um i think in that in that time frame i wanted to i wasn't trying to glorify military experience or glorify the military in puerto rico i was i think my 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 statement was the fact that at that time is really pointing out that people can say that Puerto Ricans are not really American citizens, but yet they die for this country, you know, which I think is, an, is important. But to, with that being said, I think there is a story there to talk about what has come from a lot of the military experiment, experimentation and the cost of that. The cost of that. Yeah, now, that, that could be a comic presence. book, you yeah. know, that could be like, and I, and I don't know if this is explored at all and La, and, um, but La Poriqueña, I don't know if he exp if he goes into that too mm. much. No, um, I wouldn't much be into right. the history of the military or he, uh, right. Yeah. But, but the ecological you, aspect, the ecological he, aspect. He, he, and he focuses on that. Yeah, and diaspora right. and yeah, native myth. Yeah, it's more on on. That, I've only read right? the first two right, collections right. so far. So. I mean, my my thought is is that you know you really have to figure out how you want to frame that. You know, because you can frame it in many ways. You can make it a, a horror story mm -hmm. or you could make it a I got my powers because the US, US military, you know, yeah. it, you know, experimented. And it, I guess it really just depends on, on how you want to do it. Mm -hmm. If it was me and if I really thought about it, probably lean toward more horror. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Because I think that's just the reality of it. Um, it's but that's closer good. to reality. It's closer yeah. to reality. <laughs> um, but I also think that that would require a lot of uh, research, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of. You know, now that now that we're, quote unquote, done with Vieques, what does that mean? What's happening now? You know, and how are people? Yes, people are dying in of cancer. But what else is happening? Because I think if you also look back at the history, we're, we could also talk about the, the way they, they've treated women and the way that they mm -hmm. have, you know, they've done experiments on women as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what does that look like? You know, yeah, so. that's like a horror sci-fi. It's a horror sci-fi type thing. Type like, of... if you were to turn that into a fictionalized account, mm -hmm. for sure, I can see that that genre working for something. Kind of like um, side note to like the Low Low Woods, where she's talking a lot about like the the digging. Uh, the mining and the effects of that on the yeah. citizens, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. what are the effects of the treatment of women, of the military, like, experiments and all of that um, on Puerto Ricans? And it's Ricans. part of the U.S. machinery, yeah, yeah. of those decades, yeah. Absolutely. The, 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 the involvement in the in the world wars yep. in Korea. My, my grandfather went, uh, went to Korea. Mm. And uh, yeah, Vietnam, right? But also, like at Absolutely. the same time, there's a, a population control yep. uh, policy that mm -hmm. is allowing this yep. experiment to happen, yep. right? So, so we see like the destruction of the Im imperial drive, yeah. Right. Uh, that can and indeed, I feel like it, it could be like a really interesting uh, right, and and it's and it's aspect in, to exploring comics, yeah, uh, yeah, through the uh, horror genre, and yeah, in many other ways. And, and if in you the think arts. about, if you if you really think about it, and I'm going really deep here, when you look at stuff like Star Wars, 
mm-hmm. you know, and they talk about the empire. Mm-hmm. You talk about what the empire has done. We'll, we'll use the example of Andor, mm-hmm. you know, the things that he has seen the empire do. Mm-hmm. That's kind of real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I think about in terms of prison labor. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You yeah. have these prisoners building parts for the Death Star. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, you could easily look at the 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 prison uh, population here and what they build. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You could easily look at that. You can look at some of the experimentations. I think if um, Bad Batch is another Star Wars thing. I watch Star, everything Star Wars. Um, but they talk about the beginnings of the Empire and the experiments they're, they're doing to people. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. all real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? In some way, that's not something that somebody just made up. That's actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even though it's 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 just fantasy. reframed in it's space. It's just reframed in space. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. why it works. And people always love the rebellion, even though in real life, the rebellion is something else I'm not going to get into. But it, <laughs> the it goes, rebellion usually is to get demonized. Right. right? In, in, in mainstream media, in mainstream right? Media, right. Uh, but in Star Wars, it's celebrated. It's, it's celebrated. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just interesting if you look at the perspective of Star Wars from the other side, if you were in the Empire, and if sometimes really good writers will frame a, someone who's in the Empire and say, well, you're a terrorist. You know, so I, I'm, again, everything Star Wars, I, I'm literally playing a, a Jedi, a, a game right now on PlayStation called Jedi Survivor. And one of the things that, the character will run into is people in the empire calling him a terrorist. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I'm like, that's interesting. I think in all the years I've watched Star Wars, played Star Wars, you don't really hear that T word, mm. but until now. So it's, it had a profound impact if you really are into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just, it's just interesting. So going back to the sort of the military complex and how that affects Puerto Rico, I think that um, there are it's so much, there, there's so much rich, history and, and probably a lot of material that can be used mm-hmm. to explore. It just really depends on how you want to explore it. Mm-hmm. So speaking of, you know, space and, yeah. and all of that, but let's let's transition over to the third world comic because mm-hmm. you talk about like terrorism yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and that yeah. sort of thing there. You know, so in this comic, you engage with black speculative storytelling. Mm-hmm. And we wonder, like, how has this rich cultural movement influenced you? And why did you choose to center your narrative around an Afro-Puerto Rican character, even in a transnational story of societal <laughs> collapse? Like, Because you don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you, don't, you don't really see that. So I think I, I love stories video games characters where the then the main character is not a traditional character that we, we're used to seeing mm-hmm. because i think that there is so much more not to say that there like when you think about the last of us you know joel in the com in the in the video game is white but yet he's not in, well we don't i believe he's not in the in the hbo series it changes the dynamic of how you see the character I mean, let's just let's just be mm-hmm. real about that. And I think, first of all, one of the things that I've always I've always been consistent about in writing stories, because even the ones that I have not published, I always wanted to center the character. I always wanted to center the story around a woman, because we see a lot of guys, and I mm-hmm. think that that gets a little bit old, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. So, and then center it around a woman of color. Um, is also important because, again, storytelling is not something that we, we normally see. So for this particular story, there's, and I realize after writing it that there's so many layers, but I wanted to 
So the character's name is is uh, Clara or Clarita. Um, and I kind of wanted to dedicate that to my late aunt. That was her name. Um, and she was as dark as I am. And I wanted to create a, a strong character that was no nonsense as she was, but put her in a situation in which she had a chance to save the world. I don't know how many stories you may have read about a woman of color saving the world, but they're not many out there. So the influence of Black Speculative, it's been very influential to me because it's something that I enjoy reading. I enjoy looking at, you know, if, if especially with some of these folks who are such terrific artists. It, it, it really sort of um, sparks the imagination. And what I wanted to do was create a, a world and a story within that world that after you're done, you have so many more questions than you came in with. Because who knows, maybe I'll expand it at some point. But I, I also recognize that there are a lot of themes that are sort of familiar. You know, it's like, is this the Matrix? Is this Ready Player One? What is this? <laughs> but I, I wanted to show that we're still around 500 years from now. I wanted to show that we still have love as of culture Puerto as Puerto Ricans, mm -hmm. that we're still here. As black Puerto Ricans. As black Puerto, exactly. Yep. And yep. I think that that's important. Because mm -hmm. when you look at futuristic stuff, really the question is, who do you think is still going to be around? Mm -hmm. We don't know, but I can tell you <laughs> that at the end of the day, as the population increases, most of the population are going to be people of color. Can you unpack that? Uh, we're still with uh, Third World, but let's get into the title. Yeah, let's unpack the title a little bit. Yeah, how yes. is the concept of the Third World intertwined with corporate neocolonialism within the story that For, you created? Well, yeah. well first, I, I will tell you that um, I thought a lot about working class folks. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And the way, the way it goes is that uh, corporate America kind of have left Earth and have colonized Mars. Mm-hmm leaving most of the working class on a different planet, but provided an opportunity to work on projects in Mars through this, I guess, through this matrix type of thing. Mm -hmm. This, Because um, I would view the internet to be so much more than it is now. I, I would view that people could actually be in physical form, even though, sort of like super work from home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, still be on Earth, but can plug in to go in this third world uh, thing where they still have to work. They still have things to do. They still can get paid. They still do nine to five. But it's this whole working thing. And then within that structure, you still have, you know, you, you still have sort of like an entertainment industry. You still have music and you want to or you still have some sort of artistry where you want to be big, not just on Earth, but you want to be big on Mars and third world. So it's mm -hmm. this whole thing that we kind of see now where it is people want to be big on the internet. People want to mm -hmm. be social media stars, but mm -hmm. just expand that to planetary level. And there is a corporation in the story that I don't really get into, but that corporation pretty much owns everything. I, there's a, <laughs> there is a line that I like in Fight Club where there, where the main character says that at the end of the day, it's going to be corporations that'll be naming stars and galaxies. You know what I mean? Because I believe that to be true. Mm -hmm. At some point, corporate America or the corporate world will start naming things that are not on this planet as if they own them. So uh, what the, the new uh, space race is led by Elon Musk right mm -hmm. now. <laughs> but I was also thinking about there is like a thing where you can name a star and yes. someone is making exactly. a profit off of exactly. that right now. Like, exactly. I mean, it's not it's not like why. Like if I name a star after myself. Yeah. 
the whole world isn't going to refer to that star no. by that, but that concept exists. Yep. A concept exists. Absolutely. So, yeah, and I, I think for me, I think there's also a hidden message um, within the story is that I think personally I, I live in, in three worlds. You know, mm-hmm. I, I live my, you know, Latino side, my black side, mm-hmm. and then it's somewhere in the middle is the third world that I, that I have to function in, which is tied to work. You know what I mean? Um, so, um, and I didn't really, I did, I, I did, I was thinking about that, and I was like, hey, that's interesting how that all kind of just played out in my head, because that was a very difficult story for me to write, um, mm-hmm. because I had to really world build, and I had to really think about, but not concepts. like actually show us the world, but not building, actually just show like you the world, just world show you a glimpse exists. of it. Uh, <laughs> um, and this is where, you know, the artist, she also kind of just laid out what she felt the world would look like. You know, and I specifically wanted it in black and white. I didn't want it to be colored um, because I, I wanted people to use a little bit more of their imagination. I also think there's something to be said about black characters in black and white. And I wanted her to specifically have the dreadlocks. You know, I wanted I wanted specifically to have black features because I felt that that was important as well. And whomever or, or whoever, what better person to do that than a black artist, a, a woman mm-hmm. of color. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The world highlights the, the, the use of Puerto Rico as a testing ground, as we were like talking about yeah. before. <laughs> yes. Uh, but it's interesting because you also like bring about topic of debt economies. Yep. So third world is also a yes. place to generate debt. Yep. Uh, and of course, like something very important in terms of ecological discussion is the creation of genetically modified food. Yes. Right. Yeah. Could you elaborate on on the interconnectedness of these practices and, and the resulting health and ecological costs that this story has imposed on Puerto Ricans, on Latinos, Afro-Latinos? Right. Yeah. Well, as we said before, I think Puerto Rico in particular has been used to test bombs and used to been test, you know, women and, and fertility. At the end of the day, when the rich decide to move or the rich decide to do whatever they want, they have to test certain things. I mean, as it is now, I think they've cloned sheep. You know, I think... Uh, that was a thing at that one point. That was a thing yeah. at one point. <laughs> I, that, and do, do they still do that? What are they doing that with? I, I don't know. But I'm assuming at some point we're going to run out of food. You know, with the with the way the world is changing, and the only thing I can think of is thinking about Star Trek and how they have these replicators, and you know they can just tell the computer to make this, and molecularly speaking, they do that. I don't see that being too far from what we we could probably do now. Three D printing food. Three D printing food. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So. I can. T- you, I, you were talking about the history of plantations in yes. Puerto Rico before, yeah. and, and and right now, if we like locate the plantation in Puerto Rico, it's a Monta- Monsanto plantation. So it's it's close to reality. Exactly. It's not something from I the totally future. I totally forgot yeah. about Monsanto. You are <laughs> yeah, absolutely but that correct. Is, yeah, yeah, part of the of the uh, ecological debates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that people like are engaging and the activism right. in the island, the right. ecological activism is right. fighting. Yeah, against yeah that dominance, that yeah. corporate dominance. And if you look at it now, there's always a report that says, well, this food is cancer causing because it has this particular ingredient. Where did this particular ingredient come from? Who said it was okay to put it in the food? And I almost feel like we're we're being tested now. 
when it comes to the way we preserve, add preservatives to food and like corn syrup and stuff like that, those things are terrible for your body. But they're, it's everywhere and you have to be very careful what you eat. And that's why I think the resulting effects of cancer, prostate cancer for men, you know, breast cancer for women, all this stuff happens because we're ingesting things we should probably not be ingesting. We're in higher temperatures than we really need to be in um, and just pollution in general. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened to the ozone layer? Is there still a hole in there? Like we don't there are things that I remember as a kid that I don't remember if they were solved. Like what We've just moved on to the next thing, mm-hmm. you know, well, and then the right. waters are rising and the waters are, are rising. So at the same time, it's like, what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Everything is connected. Every, here. Yeah. So yeah. I, tr- when in thinking about this story, I tried to think about everything that's happening now, but at a larger scale, you know, if, if the ozone layer is going to disappear, when will that be? You know, if, we needed food and the food ran out and the people who could create that food moved. What's going to happen? Who's going to test it? Who are we testing it on? All this stuff plays into the fact that people of color end up, end up being at the, the front line of a lot of that stuff, whether it be the military, whether it be testing food, whether it be any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Because as we know, the rich just get richer. And they come mm-hmm. up with these things now, uh, you know, like, well, we're going to start flying to the moon because we can and not really using that money to solve world problems, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> and and that, that's the point of third world. Instead of using the money to fix the world, they'd rather just go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of touched on, on this a little bit earlier when you talked about centering uh, like Afro-Latina protagonists in your comics and such, you know, and, and that's something that we noticed as well, that both of these comics feature a black feminist gesture where heroism and sacrifice are embodied by black Puerto Rican women, right? And <laughs> mm-hmm. so, and that's something that we always, we should also be aware of too, is right, how much is put on these women, yep. the, the responsibility yeah. to sacrifice, yeah. right? Yeah. And and we're curious to like, you know, again, you said it was intentional to, to center them because we don't see their voices as often, but, you know, how is the, um, like, could you provide further insights about the motivations behind your choices here and, and yeah, sort of absolutely. that impact of like, when we look at black women, Afro-Latino women, Afro-Puerto Rican women, that like putting all that weight on them, that that weight of the world and the responsibility. Um, I, I come from a big family of, of Puerto Rican women. <laughs> I grew up with mm-hmm. mostly Puerto Rican women who are all my color, uh, who are all dark skin. And they and even now when I think about my cousins, you know, they hold the weight of the world on their shoulders. You know, I think about my my cousins who they work hard and that to the point where I think they've sacrificed a lot for that work. You know, uh, I think they've sacrificed having families because they have been so involved in being leaders in their industry, you know, that they haven't had time to really do for themselves. And that's to, to me, that's that's an emotional thing, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I think about it, it, you know, it's something I don't want to think about too much. And then I start tearing up. Um, and I think about, you know, my grandmother, you know, my grandmother had way too many kids, but at that time it's normal. <laughs> you know, I think I have yep. like six aunts, two uncles, you know, um, I, but there's a lot of weight in that. There's a lot of responsibility in trying to raise a 
child in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, um, the way the economy was, living in Spanish Harlem. Um, I think there are a lot of women who do that now that don't get a lot of credit for it. You know, I think you have uh, women who almost become villainized, you know, for just not wanting to have another kid. You know what I mean? Because it's it's hard. You know, we get a lot of women get villainized because, you know, maybe they need to ask for government assistance because it's hard out there. Mm -hmm. People are not really paying a lot, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and you can have two or three kids, which is okay, And it's their choice. You know, where where does that where does that inner strength come from? Because I can tell you (laughs) having a 13 month old. And being and taking care of him just for one day by myself, I cannot imagine how a mother can do that. A single mother can do that for 18 years. You know, so there's a strength there that I don't think a lot of men have. And just sort of understanding that strength and putting that in a story in which, again, you have to save the world uh, or you have to stop everything you're doing to fly to Puerto Rico and look for your parents because you have no idea what happened to them. So maybe this this idea of like giving a space to these sacrifices that are happening anyway. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I mean, thank you so much <laughs> for joining us. That Those are like our, our core questions there. But before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to plug that you're working on or where our <laughs> listeners can find you and your work? I mean, I met you at, at New York Comic Con. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, you mentioned I, the podcast, so maybe like yeah, give absolutely. a shout out to your podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, I have a podcast uh, that I'm starting now to get returned to because I had to take some time off since I had a, a child. It's called Black Comics Chat. We're on Twitch. We uh, we do our shows every Sunday, probably around ten or eleven, depending on <laughs> who's who's up. But that's on Twitch. And what we do is that we basically look at old cartoons um, from a, a, a from a now perspective, uh, meaning that we can look at cartoons from the 80s and maybe the early 90s, look at the black characterizations or lack thereof or Latino characterizations or lack thereof, or lack thereof um, and really kind of break it down. It can be it can be funny there. At one point we used to have we used to watch Jim um, for at least a straight year. We watched all three seasons <laughs> and talked about feminism, talked yeah. about the characterizations. It was a really good time. Um, and then we, we will also talk about current events and comic books and stuff like that. So we kind of squeeze that all in about maybe a 90 minute show on Twitch. So, you know, we're you can also find us on Instagram at Black Comics Chat. For me, uh, you can find me on Instagram, X or Twitter, however you call it, Latin Negro, one, one N, because I know people like to put two Ns. And yeah, I also have a website called anthonyotero.com, uh, which I have to update after I <laughs> got contacted by you. I was like, there are things here that are like old links to my Huffington Post work and some some stuff that I just need to update. But yes, so... You can find me there. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. I know, like, asking you to talk about comics and then saying, oh, but here's the caveat. We also want to talk about climate and, oh, and all of that. Loved it. Loved I it. think <laughs> it was a great way to to connect those two and to show our listeners that, like, you know, doing things that are centered around environmentalism and, and the climate crisis – and the, not, political. and the yes. political do yeah. not only exist in one form that you That's can correct. approach it through art forms like comics mm-hmm. as well. So thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. <laughs>
All right, Rojo. So that interview with Anthony, what did you think? What did, what were your takeaways from that? Yeah, I really enjoyed learning about how Anthony's family, especially the women, yeah, were a big inspiration to create his strong Afro-Boricua characters. His reflection on race, ethnic identity, and the military, again, were conceived through the perspective of family members and erased histories of Black Puerto Ricans in U.S. wars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something that, uh, as I briefly mentioned, yeah, when we were talking with him, resonates uh, with my family. I think it was very important, his emphasis on storytelling as a political tool, especially to discuss the trauma of climate crisis in the Caribbean and extractivist economies. I also like how he pointed out self-publication as an avenue to take control of our stories and developing an archive of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like if others aren't going to publish your work, then at least now there are avenues that you can get your your stories out into the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me as a fellow comic nerd, I really appreciated the idea of having someone come and speak about environmentalism and the climate crisis through that perspective. It really just goes to show like how many ways and how many mediums with which you can critique the environmental destruction at the hands of human beings, especially those in power. Um, I think Third World is a, a great example of that. His examples, not only from his own works, but also from some of the more mainstream fandoms that he's a part of, really drove home the idea that this is a problem that's frequently addressed in sci-fi and fantasy works, right? He talked about Star Wars, mm -hmm. he talked about Star Trek, uh, you know, and many others. The two comics that he wrote are quite distinct from one another, but the fact that they both bring up environmental concerns, both in the present day and potential issues in the future, really speaks volumes. Personally, I would love to see Third World expanded out into a full graphic novel uh, at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Even a series. Uh, it would be like interesting to yeah. see like a series of comics or, yeah, or the, comics. an expansion of the world he created mm -hmm. or the universes <laughs> that he created. Right? Exactly. Yeah. It, as a short comic series, it'd be really cool to just like kind of say like, oh, here's issue A, here's issue B and kind of touch on each one individually and see how they all link together in, in this world yeah, that I'm he's created. I'm particularly interested in how the machinery of Third World works, yeah? Yes. And he pointed out that, that, that he already designed it, that, so it was like, I'm, I'm really curious about those possibilities. <laughs> Bring it, give it to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was great. That was, I think, a great way to start off our season on, on climate activism. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us for this episode. Remember, you can share your thoughts with us on social media or by email. Yeah, always follow the podcast on social media, Instagram, X, at Latinx Visions. Our email address is still the same, latinxvisions at gmail.com. And we would love to include your thoughts in a future episode. So please write us. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends and family. Subscribe and leave a review to help others find the podcast. It really helps. Estamos a la escucha, mi gente. Dale. Until next time. Mm -hmm.